We are Anthem Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. For all the info you need, visit anthemforall.org and follow at Anthem Church Chicago. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 is where we are going to be this morning. And as you guys turn there, I'm just going to pray that uh, God would be with us as we open up the word this morning. There was just a time in our prayer meeting this morning as we were praying before church that uh, we really felt God is wanting to speak to us, not just when I say through the word, I'm not just meaning through the preached word, but uh, through words that we've already sung, through amazing testimonies that we've already heard, through the word that is going to be preached, and I think through some, um, some other contributions which we're going to have towards the end of the meeting, um, God wants to speak to us. So Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the authority of your word. We thank you that there is life in and on your word. And we want to pray this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name, that we would have hearts to to hear hearts that are open, hearts that are surrendered, hearts that are ready to receive the seed of your word, Father. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that as that seed is planted, um, not, not only years from now, but Lord, even now, supernaturally now, we pray that seed would take root, that seed would germinate, that seed would, would grow and would produce fruit even today, Lord God. Uh, we, we, did, we open our hearts to you, Holy Spirit, We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are here. We thank you that you are speaking. We thank you that you are moving, that you are working in our our lives. And I pray that we would just be so alert to what it is that you are doing. Father, we don't want to to just plow through this morning and and, and kind of say that we've done what what we've wanted to do. We want to be open to you, Lord. And so, Lord, come and speak. Come and, and minister. Come and reveal your your, your heart, your purpose for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Even now, Lord, we ask for your peace to come. For your peace to come, Lord God. Where there's worry, where there's fear, where there's anxiety, where there's doubt, where there's uncertainty, ask for your peace to come. Rest upon us, Lord. Bring your peace, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. I don't know who to attribute this uh, statement to, but I heard someone this week say this. uh, These days, there's only one thing we can be sure of, and that is there there, there are very few things that we can be sure of. And I think that's true to varying degrees for every single one of us here in the room, whether we are followers of Jesus or not. I think we would all, uh, uh, if we all were honest, I think we'd admit that our lives and the lives of those around us can literally seem to turn on a dime. I spoke to someone this morning, uh, just this week, who's had that situation where on the one hand, things were going perfectly fine, and then the next day, things just swiveled and things just turned around. One day, we can be celebrating the wedding of a friend A few days later, we find ourselves weeping with a friend who's going through an unexpected breakup. One day, we can find ourselves praying for a family member as they celebrate their birthday. A few days later, we can find ourselves praying for that family member as they fight for their lives because of an unexpected illness. One day, we can say to ourselves, my goodness, I can't believe how well things are going. A few moments later, a few days later, we look at ourselves and we think, how could things have fallen apart so, so quickly? And uh, I think the list of examples that I could 
use this morning are absolutely endless, but I, but it, uh, I think we would all agree that what we uh, assume is sure and what we assume is certain isn't. And we ask ourselves the question, how on earth do we stand in the midst of all of this? We are in our series through the book of Philippians. This is our second last Sunday, just to quickly bring, you know, actually bring the sermon into a context. It's our second last Sunday on the series through Philippians that we've entitled Pressing On, Walking in the Ways of Jesus. And this entire series is built around what most commentators agree, what, what, what we agree is the pivotal verse in this particular book, and it's in, found in chapter 3, verse 12 where Paul writes, I'm pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I'm pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And we've argued in previous weeks that the that that Paul is referring to, at times we think it's a task, we might think it's a call that's on our lives, something that God has asked us to do, but the that that God has taken hold of us for is so much bigger than a task that we get to do for God. The that that Christ Jesus has taken hold of us for is an intimate relationship with him. And Paul is saying we need to be those that are taking hold of that, taking hold of that intimate relationship with God that God through his son Jesus has taken hold of us for. And we grow in intimacy as we learn to walk in the ways of Jesus. I think if anyone understood the reality of a life turning on a dime and being turned upside down, it was Paul. If you read his story in the book of Acts, there was a, a time when he was ministering freely, preaching the gospel freely, and then the, the very next moment, he finds himself arrested and chained to a Roman guard with a, a death sentence over his head, all because of trumped-up charges and for a crime that he did not commit. And, 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 but Paul, somehow, through this all, he had an assurance that was eternal, and he had a certainty that was absolute because his life was rooted in the reality of Jesus. He knew not just how to stand, but how to stand firm in the Lord. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. How, do we, how are we those people who, who learn how to stand firm in the Lord? Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Paul starts off, therefore. I've said this time and time again, but whenever you come across the word therefore, you have to ask what is it there for? There you go. What is it there for? And, and Paul is referring back to something that he said a, a few verses earlier. We're going to look at it in a few moments. But he, he's setting up the scene. He's, he's referring back to something that he's already mentioned. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love, you whom I long for, my joy, my crown, and he has the key, stand firm in the Lord in this way, or stand firm in the Lord like this, my dear friends. When we hear verse one, when we hear Paul promising that, that he knows the way that we are to stand firm in the Lord, I'm sure every single one of us, our ears are pricked and we say, great, Paul, tell me what is that secret? Tell me what I need to do. That's where we go to, every single one of us, that's where we go to, that's what fuels the, if I can be honest, the Christian literature industry, the Christian writing industry is steps and procedures on how to find freedom or how to find wholeness. But before Paul tells us what we ought to do, before he gives us the practice, the things that we ought to do, he first establishes a principle. And this is the principle that we must understand. Remember eternal unchanging truth especially in forever changing circumstances. 
That's the principle that Paul is gonna drive home again and again as we go through this text this morning. Remember eternal and changing truth especially in forever changing circumstances. Or said another way, Paul is telling us that we need to remember who we are, we need to remember where we are, so that we know what to do. We need to remember who we are, we need to remember where we are, so that we know what to do. So let's jump in and let's have a look at what Paul is saying. Therefore, he says in verse one. So remember what I said, when, when he writes therefore, he's, he's setting up this idea of, of how do we stand firm in the Lord, He's setting up the principle that we must know by, by, by looking back at some verses that he mentioned earlier. Now, what are those verses? I think there are two points, two verses earlier that Paul is wanting us to remember so that we can learn to stand firm in the Lord. The first one is in verse 12. I mentioned it earlier. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That's the first thing Paul wants us to understand. The principle of understanding how to hold on to eternal, unchanging truth is we must remember that Jesus has taken hold of us for an intimate relationship with Him. God wants us to enjoy intimacy with Him. We're not those that are padding our resume, that are, that are filling out our list of achievements and strengths and successes so that we can wave it at God and say, God, on the basis of what I've done, you can accept me. No, we are those who understand that our righteousness, what I mean by that is our ability to, to enter into the presence of God, our ability to come into God's presence, our righteousness is off the back of what Jesus has done for us. He is our perfect and complete resume. And that's essentially what Paul does in the first 11 verses of chapter three. He outlines this argument that Jesus and Jesus alone is the way that we gain access into the presence of God. Jesus, I wrote this down, Jesus is my unearned, never changing righteousness. Yesterday, today, and forever. And because Jesus never changes, neither does my righteousness. No matter the good things I do, no matter the hardships that I go through, no matter the mistakes that I make, I need to just keep looking at the perfect gift of Jesus that God has given us. And I wanna say, if you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, I wanna encourage you, I wanna remind you, I wanna tell you this is the gospel in essence. The fact that we gain access, we, we, we have relationship with God, not off the back of anything we've done, both good and bad, but we have relationship with God simply because of the perfection and the righteousness of Jesus. By receiving Him into our lives, by laying down our lives and receiving the free gift that is Jesus, we are clothed in the perfection and the righteousness of Him. And that gains us access into God's presence. So the first thing Paul is hearkening back to, the first thing Paul is mentioning in order for us to learn the principle of standing firm in the Lord is what we must remember God wants an intimate relationship with us through his son Jesus. But because we are in Jesus, look at verse 20 of chapter three, because we are in Jesus, our citizenship is in heaven. Griffin preached on that last Sunday. Paul is wanting us to remember. Paul is, is, is wanting us to remind ourselves constantly, firstly, verse 12, who we are. We are in Jesus. We, are, we, are, we, we belong to him. And then verse 20, where we are. We are citizens in heaven. 
When we know who we are and we know where we are, then the Bible tells us, Paul tells us, we will know exactly what to do. And, and this theme of, of Paul explaining who we are, where we are, so we know what to do is, is something that Paul repeats over and over and over again, not just in the book of Philippians, but in all of his writing. If you are aware of it, as you read Paul's writings, you'll begin to see it over and over again. Ephesians chapter two is just one example. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter two, God has raised us up with Christ. Who, who, who are we? Or, or should I say, whose are we? God has raised us up with Christ. We, we, are, we are Jesus's. We belong to him. We are raised with Christ and he has seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Where are we? We are in heavenly realms. We are seated with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And when we hear that, when, we, when, when you hear, wait, we are seated in heavenly realms, I'm sure some of you are saying, well, wait a minute, am I standing here or am I seated there? Which is it? Am, am I standing here or am I seated there or, or am I seated in heavenly realms? To which I answer, yes. That's the teaching of Scripture. Let me explain. I've used this illustration before, so forgive me if you've heard it, but I think it, it hopefully helps you understand what I'm trying to get, what the Bible is trying to unpack. Before I was in ministry, I was in business and had the opportunity to travel around the world quite extensively. And, and so over the, over the years, I became a frequent flyer with British Airways, and, and occasionally it would come with perks, with, with, un, with unexpected upgrades. And I remember once, I, was, I would always travel in business class, and I remember once, the very first time it happened to me, I was flying from Mexico City via London back to South Africa. And I walked up to the check-in clerk or the, the check-in counter in, in Mexico City, and this, this person greeted me with this huge smile with the news, Mr. Sudworth, you'll be pleased to know that we have seated you in first class. I mean, that was amazing. I didn't stand there and say, no, no, wait a minute. You haven't seated me in first class. I'm standing right here in front of me. What they were declaring was an absolute certainty of what was about to come. And because of that certainty of what was going to happen, let me tell you, it changed the way I lived until I got there. You've heard me tell the story. Some of you have heard me tell the story, but I got absolutely annoying. My, my, I mean, I'd been seated in first class. My, my, my shoulders were back. My head was held high. I was traveling in, on, in uh, first class in British Airways. I had to talk appropriately. I started using words like preposterous and inconceivable, which I've never <laughs> used before. And, and perhaps most annoyingly, this is the day pre kind of electronic tickets, most annoyingly, I made sure that my first class ticket was in my top pocket for everyone to see as I walked through the airport. The point being is that is the certainty of where I was about to be seated changed the way that I lived until I got there. And that's what the Bible is teaching. That's what Paul is wanting us to understand. That's what Paul is driving home to us. Because we are seated in Christ there, we can stand firm in the Lord here. Irrespective of whether we are chained to a Roman God with a death sentence over our head like Paul, or if we are facing challenges and difficult circumstances in our lives. He's wanting us to remember eternal, unchanging truths, especially in forever changing circumstances. He's wanting to, 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 to ensure that we remind ourselves who we are and where we are so that we know what to do. Now, now, what is so fascinating about the next two verses is Paul uses that 
as the context to deal with an issue of disunity between two women in the church in Philippi. This incredible context of us being seated in Christ in heavenly places, he uses that as the context to deal with an issue of disunity. Look at verse 2 and 3. I plead with Ioda, and I plead with Syntyche. I hate those pronunciations, especially with someone who's got a stutter. They can be tricky words to get through. Uh, To be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, And I ask you, my true companion, for a moment he starts to address the pastor of the church. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, look at the next few words, whose names are written in the book of life. He's addressing disunity and he's saying, remind them of who they are and remind them of where they are. Paul doesn't say you need to agree. Do you notice that? Paul doesn't say you need to make sure that you agree absolutely. No, he's saying remember who you are and remember where you are and that will ensure that you can be in unity even if you disagree. I'm absolutely convinced you can be in disagreement with somebody and still be in unity when you remember that you are together in the Lord because that sets the context of honor. That sets the context of love, of being gracious towards one another, of believing each other's best, of not saying anything about anyone that you would not want anyone to say about you. That's the context that Paul is using. So remember the principle, remember eternal unchanging truths, especially in forever changing circumstances, or remember who you are and where you are so that you know what to do. Paul carries on in verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He's just just mentioned the importance of rejoicing a few verses earlier. Look at chapter three, verse one. In chapter three, verse one, Paul writes, furthermore, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And now just a few verses later, he's saying it again. Rejoice in the Lord. When? Always, and in case you didn't get it, in case I haven't driven this home hard enough, he says, and I'll say it again, rejoice. Paul is is driving home the the power, the significance, the importance of us being worshipers. Could I suggest of us being primarily worshipers? And I'm not just speaking about the, 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 the singing part or the, the singing aspect of worship. I'm, I'm meaning a, a life or lives that are laid down and surrendered to the King of Kings. And by doing that, we are bringing glory and honor to God in every way possible. Jesus tells us that the, the Father is looking for, the Father is, is seeking out worshipers who will worship in the Spirit and in truth. Men and women and children who are, who are aware of the Spirit, who are filled with the Spirit, who are empowered by the Spirit, who are, who are in tune with the Spirit, who are following the leading of the Spirit, and men and women, who, and, men and, women and children who, who worship in truth, who, who submit their lives to the full revelation and, and, and teaching of this Word, and who worship with honesty and integrity. And by that I mean even when we're struggling. We can come before the Father and say, Father, I'm struggling, I'm battling, I'm going through a hard time, but in the midst of weeping, 
I'm going to worship you in spirit and in truth. Those are the worshipers that the Father seeks. I've been doing a study through the book of Revelation in, in my devotions, and uh, um, I, I read ahead a little um, to find out the result. No, I, I know the result. I'm just teasing. <laughs> I, I, I'm stuck on chapter one, but I was, I've been on chapter one for probably two weeks, and so I decided to read ahead a little, and I, and I came across chapter four, which I've read before, but it's this beautiful, uh, 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 this incredible passage where, where John receives a revelation uh, of an angel. John is visited by an angel, And the angel says to him, come up so that I can show you the throne room of God and the one who sits on the throne. And I began to think about it. That is, in in essence, a call to worship. It's a call to rejoice. I felt God say to me to remind us that that is essentially what happens on a Sunday morning when we gather to worship. Can I encourage us? Can I remind us? Can I just say, say to us that the worship team's job is not to cause the presence of God to come because the presence of God is already here. The worship team's job, working with whoever's leading the meeting, are, are, are inviting us using the songs that have been prepared, using the scriptures that might be read, using the prophetic words that might come, are inviting us to come up with them so that we can get a revelation of heaven and the one who is seated on the throne. So that we can join in with the worship that is already taking place in heaven, where, where angels and, 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 and heavenly creatures and multitudes from every tribe, nation and tongue are already worshiping before the throne of God. That's what happens on a Sunday morning, friends. Don't come on a Sunday morning expecting the worship team to bring down the presence of God. Respond to the invitation of the worship team to come up with them because when we we see a revelation of Jesus, our response is nothing but, Lord, I honor and worship you. That's why Paul is saying for us to rejoice. Could I suggest that when Paul says rejoice, it's a, it's a one-word summary of the principle that he's driving home. Remember where you are. Remember who you are so that you know what to do. Verse 5 now, Paul comes to the practice of standing firm in the Lord. He's established the principle, remember who you are, remember where you are so you know what to do. And now he, he comes to the what to do. How do we stand firm in the Lord? Verse five, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Two things that Paul asks us to do in order for us to stand firm in the Lord. He tells us to thank and he tells us to think. Now, just as an aside, I get a, I get a, if you're new to this church, this church teases me constantly that I'm always looking for alliterations, but 
Look, it's there. It's, it's right in the verses. He clearly tells us to thank and he tells us to think. So I, I'm not writing this. I mean, literally Paul is writing this. The, the first thing Paul tells us to do, to stand firm in the Lord, is we need to be those who pray with thanksgiving. We need to be those who pray with thanksgiving. I, I find it fascinating how Paul links the, the not being anxious with the, with the peace of God. He links not being anxious with the peace of God through this idea of praying with thanksgiving. I discovered this week as I was studying this passage that the, that the word anxious in the original Greek, the root word, the root understanding of this idea of this word of being anxious means, means to be shattered or means to be broken up into pieces. And it completely is the complete opposite of the peace that comes from God. To, to, to have peace means to be completely content with the leadership of the Lord, to be, to be singularly content, to, be, to have a single-minded contentment with the leadership of the Lord, as opposed to this anxiety where our, our, our search for contentment is completely shattered. Is, is it this person who's going to bring me contentment? Is, is it this thing that's going to bring me contentment? And Paul is saying, no, for us to enjoy the singular-minded uh, uh, um, uh, uh, singular contentment in the leadership of the Lord, we need to do that through prayer with thanksgiving. It's a radical idea that Paul is suggesting. Paul is saying that it is actually possible for us to enjoy the peace of God, for us to experience the peace of God, before we've received the answer to our prayer, if we pray with thanksgiving. And we can do that, friends, because when we pray, when we are called to pray, we are, we are called to pray with thanksgiving because we know that God is good and His love endures forever. Even if that knowledge, even if that faith that we have to hold on to that truth is as small as a mustard seed. We can pray with thanksgiving because we know God is perfect in the way that he answers prayers. And he answers prayers, he answers the prayer that we should have prayed or we would have prayed if we had known everything that he knows. Think about that as parents. If you are parents and we are imperfect, completely imperfect compared to the perfection of our heavenly father. But as parents, parents answer children knowing all that we know, our children not knowing everything. And that's how we can thank God that, that he answers the prayer that we would have prayed had we known everything that he knows. Paul tells us to thank. But secondly, Paul tells us to think. To stand firm in the Lord. We need to be those who, who think correctly, those who think accurately. The Passion Translation uh, uh, um, verse 8 and 9 goes like this. It says we need to keep our thoughts continually fixed on all that is true and all that is honorable and admirable, all that is beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. Listen to this. We need to fasten our thoughts on the glorious work of God, praising Him always. We need to be those that are fastening our thoughts on the glorious work of God. When I read that, I, 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 I go to Hebrews chapter 12, where, where it says we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. The one who, who speaks his, his promise and his kindness and his goodness and his mercy and grace here, 
but the one who ensures that those promises come to fulfillment there. The one who births faith in us and the one who perfects faith in us. Do you remember what Philippians 1, chapter, uh, 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 Philippians 1 says? God is gracious. God will complete the work that he started in us. And we need to fix our eyes. Paul says, fix your eyes. Fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God. Look at verse 5 of Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes, the Lord is near. The, the Lord is at work in your life. And friends, I want to encourage you, you need to find the ways that God is at work in your life. Where is He working? How is He working? And if you need help, ask somebody to show you. Ask somebody to come alongside you so that you can see where God is at work and focus on that and not where God is not at work. We don't ignore the forever changing circumstances and the challenges that we face, but they become decentered when we learn to focus on where the Lord is at work. I think the Psalms, as I've taught before, and I'm just going to just jump in here and do a quick little case study. The Psalms give us wonderful freedom to, to not only acknowledge the challenges that we go through, but also remind ourselves who we are and where we are so that we know what to do. The Psalms give us permission to weep in the midst of difficulty and hardship. The Psalms give us permission to be honest with God. For, for, uh, the Psalms give us permission for us to be real with God without wondering or worrying whether God is gonna dismiss us because of a lack of faith. David writes in Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to my cry for mercy. In other words, Lord, I'm in a desperate place. I don't know how to overcome the challenges that I'm facing. I don't know what to do. And so all I know that I can do is to cry out to you. But in the midst of weeping, there is this understanding of the power of worship. While we are weeping, while we are being honest with God, we are also remembering who we are and where we are. We are preaching the truth of the gospel to us by faith. Verse three and four of Psalm 130. If you, Lord, kept a record of sin, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. David's preaching the gospel to himself. David's reminding himself who he is and where he is. And when we do that, it enables us to know what to do, which is the next two verses in Psalm 130. We, we, uh, we, uh, um, we, we find ourselves in a posture of worship. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word, I put my trust. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. We don't wait for the Lord like a friend who is, uh, 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 is late for an appointment. Oh my goodness, where is that friend of mine? We wait for the Lord knowing that he's gonna come through. That's what watchmen did. Watchmen sat on the city walls waiting for the sun to rise. I don't know when that sun's coming, but I know it's gonna come. That's how we are to wait for the Lord in times of difficulty and hardship. Remembering who we are, where we are, so we know what to do. Let's bring this into land. The principle Paul has told us is that we need to remember who we are and where we are so we know what to do. The practice, what we are called to do to stand firm in the Lord is to think correctly and to be thankful, and this is done in faith. It's done by faith. We are trusting for God's supernatural peace to come, and so there has to be that element of faith that is included in this. 
But then finally, we see this beautiful promise that the Lord gives. He promises us the supernatural peace of God. The supernatural peace of God that is beyond comprehension. The supernatural peace of God that guards like an army, guards our hearts and minds. But friends, look at, the, look at verse nine. It's not just the peace of God, but it is also the God of peace. The very Lord himself, his presence overwhelming the circumstances that I'm facing. Another business story from many years ago, I was traveling through Europe and uh, I was, I was uh, in France, in Paris, about to fly to Copenhagen, to Denmark, to go f- there for a week. And as I got to the airport, I received a phone call from the person that I was meant to meet in Denmark to say that there was a, a transport, transport union strike. And so all cabs and all trains and all, and all airlines had ground to a halt. And there was no way for me, for me to get from, from Paris to Copenhagen and to, and to conduct the business that I was meant to do. And so I quickly changed my, my airline tickets. And instead of flying to Copenhagen, I flew from Paris back to South Africa. But I decided not to tell Deb. She was expecting me a week later. I decided to surprise her. So I flew overnight from Paris and then I landed in South Africa and I'm in a cab and I'm driving home in a cab and, and I'm on my cell phone. And I say to Debs, I say, hey, babe, great news. There's a transport union strike in Denmark and it shortened my trip and I'm coming home early. But I didn't tell her that I actually was, you know, just five minutes away from home. And she's all excited. The promise of me coming, the promise of the trip being shorter, she was all excited. And as I'm talking to her and, you know, we're having this conversation, she thinks I'm in Paris I'm actually just literally opening the, the yard gate and I'm, and I'm walking down the drive and getting closer. And as we're talking, I open the door and I remember she's like, oh, oh my word. <laughs> the point I'm making is the promise of me coming home was incredible. The promise of me coming home early was, was a beautiful gift. But me walking in the door was so much better. Here's the point. Here's the point. The peace of God is breathtaking. The peace of God is is overwhelming. The supernatural peace of God that transcends all understanding is absolutely breathtaking. But it's something that God gives us. He promises us something even greater. He promises us the God of peace. He promises us someone that he is, not just something that he gives. Struggle, or or should I say peace, is not the absence of struggle. It's the presence of the God of peace. The presence of the God of peace. Let's respond to that this morning. I just invite you to close your eyes where you're at. respond to the presence of God here this morning. Thank you, Father, for your peace, your peace which transcends all understanding, your supernatural peace which we cannot fathom, we cannot comprehend or work out why or how we should obtain or, or live in the reality of this peace.
And as great as that is, Father, you promise us something even greater. You promise us yourself, the God of peace. Father, I pray for your presence to overwhelm us. The anxiety and the worry and the fear and the doubt that so many of us are carrying, Lord. Not knowing where the answer is. Not knowing how we're gonna resolve this issue. Not knowing what to do with a job offer or whatever. Lord, we ask for your presence to overwhelm us this morning. that answers come, Lord. We know that you will give us answers to the questions that we have. We know, Lord God, that you will show us what we ought to do when the time is right. But for now, Lord God, greater than answers, greater than something that you give, we thank you that you are here, Lord God. The God of peace. The God of peace. Thanks again for listening. To stay up to date, follow at Anthem Church Chicago and visit us anthemforall.org. Anthem Church, all of Jesus for everyone.